The first reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. The second reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hey, Churchill, I hope your week has been okay. Um, I was giving a lecture at the University of Western Sydney on the topic of last week's talk, actually, um, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And I was um, just musing about how amazing it was that the early Christians came to believe not just that Jesus was God, but that um, this God had uh, died on a cross. And I, I felt the lecture went pretty well. And at the end of uh, the lecture, the chairman uh, opened the floor uh, for questions, pretty normal. And immediately this gentleman stood up. He was very well dressed, very articulate. And he proceeded to tell everyone uh, how ridiculous everything I had just said really was. It was a very nervous moment for, uh, for a lot of them. He said it was preposterous to say that the Almighty could experience the frailty of humanity, let alone suffering. Uh, it turns out he was an academic, 
at the university and a Muslim. And uh, he really objected to my picture of God. He was very polite, um, but he was insistent that what I'd said was illogical because the sustainer of all things couldn't possibly have to eat food and go to the toilet, he said. Uh, but more than that, he said that what I had just spoken of was blasphemous. I had uh, taken the infinite majesty of divinity and turned it into something weak and shameful and uh, subject to suffering. Now, our uh, back and forth went on for quite a while as the nervous audience just listened in. And it was only later that I realized his criticisms of what I'd said were just straight out of the Quran. There is this passage in chapter 5 that says, They do blaspheme who say, God is Christ, the Son of Mary. Christ, the Son of Mary, was no more than an apostle. His mother was a woman of truth. They both had to eat their daily food. See how God makes his signs clear to them, yet see in what ways they are deluded. There was no winner in our uh, back and forth um, because really our premises were miles apart. His vision of God's majesty excluded by definition um, any notion of uh, weakness and suffering, whereas my notion of divine majesty consisted precisely in God's willingness to serve and even to suffer. So in the end, I did the only thing I could do and thank him for drawing the audience's attention to the dramatic difference between Islam and Christianity. Uh, what is blasphemous in Islam is in fact glorious in Christianity. God is a servant of humanity. And we've just heard two passages that make this crystal clear from the New Testament documents. Philippians chapter 2 is regarded as an early hymn to Christ. And that's why it's indented in most Bibles and in the original Greek, as you can uh, perhaps make out in this image. Um, it's indented and, and set out as stanzas because it's got the sound of a poem in the original language. And as I said last week, um, singing hymns like this to Christ as God was such a feature of early Christianity that it even rated a mention in correspondence between the Roman governor Pliny the Younger and the emperor of the time, Trajan. Uh, Pliny wrote, the sum total of their guilt or error amounted to no more than this. They met regularly before dawn on a determined day and sang antiphonally a hymn to Christ as God. Well, Philippians chapter 2 appears to be just such a hymn. But this hymn to Christ as God could just as easily be described as a hymn to Christ as servant. I mean, uh, look at the way the text um, explains Christ's role. <clears throat> In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Then comes the hymn. Who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think you can see here um, why the Romans in the ancient world and Muslims um, uh, later on had such a problem with this early Christian idea. The hymn on the face of it appears to diminish the majesty of God and almost take relish in the juxtaposition between you know, glory and shame. So for instance, that contrast in um, one line that describes Jesus as in very nature God um, is then set against the, the line uh, that you can see on the screen that he was in very nature servant. So which is it? Very nature God, very nature servant. Uh, more than that even, we get the expression that Jesus experienced equality with God. And then down the bottom there, it says he experienced death on a cross. The most extraordinary thing about this hymn isn't that Christians said that Jesus was God. The most extraordinary thing, surely, is that Christians could say in the same stanza, in the same breath, God cross. The majesty of divinity um, expresses itself in serving us, in experiencing humiliation and suffering on our behalf. And this is a unique moment in the history of ideas. Um, Christians are used to the idea, but it's really very puzzling because in every culture we know of, divinity is always marked by power, um, judgment, glory, and victory. Never humility. Never. I mean, humility was not even a virtue in ancient Greek and Roman culture of social ethics, let alone of the ethics of God himself. Humility in Greek and Roman ethics would be a degrading thing to put yourself down to a level that you were not born to or that your standing in life did not require you to be in was disgraceful and debasing. There was no virtue in it at all. To hear that a messiah, a great king, uh, a, an important person was crucified, well, it would be nonsense to the Greek or the Roman ear. They couldn't make sense of it. In fact, Roman citizens were not crucified for that very reason. It was just so shameful. So for the gospel message to proclaim a crucified Lord, it, it upended the value system that the Romans held. And this hymn from Philippians chapter 2 has a remarkable resonance with the other passage uh, that was read to us earlier from John's Gospel in chapter 13. And the resonance isn't just in the servant theme. You find that in lots of places in the New Testament. It's in the deliberate juxtaposition um, of authority and humility right alongside each other 
in a, in a deliberate way. And notice how John introduces us to the scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet like a household servant. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, you need to think, like if you've never heard this story before, so what? You know, so he showed a miracle to show how great he was. Um, he explained his plan for world domination. No. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This sounds just like the hymn from Philippians 2, in very nature God, but took on the very nature of a servant. And this is so shocking, um, dare I say illogical, and to some blasphemous, that Peter tries to stop Jesus washing his feet. No, no doubt he's uh, watch Jesus wash a couple of other uh, of the disciples' feet, and he's thinking, no way is this happening. Jesus is too important to do this to me. And of course, we read these words. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Imagine um, seeing the one you revered as the Lord, taking off his robe, tying a towel around his waist, and then doing for you what you had only ever seen a servant do. Without gimmick or guile, he washes and dries your feet. But of course, it's going to get a lot more shocking. Um, this scene of the foot washing points beyond itself to what's going to happen the next day. Um, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what they'll witness when Jesus is arrested, um, tortured, mocked, and then crucified. Jesus will die for the salvation, for the cleansing of the world. He had taught that often enough. And now the foot washing points toward that great event. I mean, th this is why Jesus says in verse 8, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And see, this foot washing um, foreshadows the cleansing from sin that Jesus will achieve for us uh, by his death on a cross. And Jesus regularly taught that everyone will be held uh, to account for their lack of love, lack of humility toward God and uh, toward our neighbours, and that our only hope of escaping the judgment that is due to us is if someone bears that judgment for us. That's the whole meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. He takes it into himself. Uh, so 
Jesus served us, um, suffered for us in order to save us. Um, this is not the only passage that hints at this. Um, in a different gospel, in different language, we read these words from um, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, again from Jesus' own lips. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The mission of Jesus isn't just to wash our feet. This was a pointer to the great service of Jesus Christ in giving himself for us. This passage, wonderful passage about the foot washing, is way more than a moral example. I mean, it certainly is that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it certainly is an indication of what the Christian life should look like, humble service. But way more than that, it's a picture of the cleansing that Jesus would bring for us on the cross, the salvation he would achieve for us. I've mentioned my mate Ben Shaw before. Uh, he recently passed away, but just before he died, um, he got his new book out and uh, was able to launch it. Um, and in the book, he, he tells an extraordinary and true story that is a great example of human uh, self-sacrifice. Now, I don't think any um, human story can really capture the mystery of what Christ has done for us on the cross. But this one is pretty profound. Melbourne woman, Kimberly Deere, was pursuing a life ambition when she took off for skydiving lessons while on holidays in St. Louis in the US. Within minutes, there was a loud bang and the plane lost power and started um, careering uh, toward the earth. Her instructor was this man. Robert Cook, who calmly talked her through what was about to happen. He apparently said, as the plane is about to hit the ground, make sure you're on top of me so I take the force of the impact. Uh, they crashed. Several died, including Robert Cook. Kimberly survived. And from uh, her hospital bed, she told reporters that in the final seconds, um, she felt uh, Robert Cook um, swivel his body into position and then press her head against his chest and shoulder to cushion the blow. And she just let him. She trusted him. He died. She lived. Uh, Robert Cook, of course, uh, won a posthumous bravery award, as reported uh, by the ABC. But then my mate Ben uh, turns our attention from this dramatic true story to the events of Jesus. Listen to what Ben writes. The main message of Christianity is that God came in human form, ultimately to be a substitute for us. On the cross... All our debt, punishment and shame was set upon Christ, allowing us to be fully exempt. 
Christ came to cushion the blow that we all really deserve. In effect, he laid down his own life to save ours. Not just one life for another, but his life for any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him. For any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him. They're powerful words. We must let him. We must trust Jesus Christ to be our rescue, to take our place, to offer us uh, cleansing. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. So I have to end by asking, without any gimmick or emotion, will you push Christ away, like Peter did at first anyway? Or will you let him wash you? Will you trust that his death and resurrection for you, for me, is our only hope? All it takes, uh, as I said last week in one of the Q&A sessions, is to work out if you trust this one in the Gospels. His life is there. His teaching is there. His death and resurrection are there. You work out, do I trust this one in the Gospels? And if the answer to that is yes then simply ask him to cleanse you, to forgive you, to serve you, so that you might be saved. Thank you so much for letting me have this time uh, in these three weeks. I hope something that I've said will perhaps cause those who aren't sure what to make of Christianity to take little steps in the right direction. Uh, Jesus is the judge. We all have to face that one day. He is God in, in the flesh, and his resurrection guarantees that. But he is also the servant, the one who gave himself for us. So maybe some of you are beyond taking just little steps in the right direction. Maybe you want to trust Jesus Christ, and you want to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you, to cleanse you. Please, will you do that? Maybe in the words that I'll close in prayer right now. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself in the life of Jesus. Thank you above all for showing yourself to be humble, to enter into the world in Jesus Christ, to live the life I could never live to give that life on the cross and to rise again for my salvation. Please, because of all that, forgive me now. Cleanse me now. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much.